Um, God is on the move. I don't know if you've ever read the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis, but in, in that book, Aslan, Aslan the Lion is a symbol of Jesus, and they start to whisper in Narnia that Aslan is on the move. Well, this morning I want to tell you that Jesus is on the move. God is on the move. He's doing some good things. He's doing some good things among us. Uh, I was able to go to a, a church not very far from here on Monday night. They have a Monday night service, and I was able to go and attend this church, and God is blessing this church, and it's really growing. It's, a, it's part of our network of churches. And like the last worship song that they were singing, all of a sudden I see something come from like off the stage over uh, over the worshipers, over over the, the worship team and everything, and this thing flew by my head and started circling around the church, and it ended up that they had a bat loose in their church. <laughs> Never had that experience before. Uh, I think they were, maybe they were doing Halloween a little bit early, I don't know. But I mean, their security team did a great job and got that bat out of there, and their pastor talked about, look, God is blessing and Satan is fighting, but we're not going to let him overcome us. And no matter what goes on with our church as well, we've got some stuff going on with our worship team members. Like I told you, we're not going to stop. We're not going to stop. We're not going to give in. We're not going to be, we're not going to let fear or intimidation from the enemy overcome us because we know we're on the winning side. We're going to keep pressing on no matter what happens. Hey, I, I want to give you a great report. Last week we had just a great time doing our Fall Family Fun Fest I would not have chosen 93 degrees for the weather that day, um, but it was certainly better than if it rained us out or something like that, and so we did not have the amount of attendance for that that we usually do. I think uh, even free food and, and festivities don't sound as fun in 93 degree weather, but we did have a lot of new faces. I see some folks that are, are here today that came last week and they're back this week, and just thank you guys for coming back and worshiping with us. And if I can encourage you anything, yeah, please, please give the Lord some praise. If I can encourage you anything, those of you who are maybe just trying Rushwood out, trying the whole church thing out, trying this Jesus thing out, if I could give you any encouragement, set a goal in your hearts, and this could be for the rest of our congregation, our, our, our every week congregation that's normally here. Set a goal in your hearts as much as you can from now until the new year to be in church. Can I ask you to do that? I mean, uh, what we do here, what we preach here, the way we do sermon series and that sort of thing, if you only catch a little bit of it, you only catch a little bit of it. You miss some of the things that we are specifically designing to help you grow, to help you mature. And so I just like to encourage you, and I know it's, I know it's fall, and i got to make my trip up to Boone sometime. I don't know how you guys are, but I've always got to make a mountain trip, and, and I love that sort of thing in the fall. But, of course, I'm going to try to be here as much as I can. I'm going to miss one Sunday because I'm going to be in Israel, and uh, I'm, I'm praising God that I had the opportunity to, to go on this trip. It's paid for by other people, so that makes it even better that I'm going to be able to go on this trip. And so it's a nine-day trip, seven days in the country of Israel, one day going, one day coming back. And so I'll miss one Sunday myself. But as much as we can, let's try to be together, okay? Let's try to see what God has for us from this point all the way to the new year because I believe God is wanting to do some special things among us. Can we do that? If we can do that, nod your head, yes, okay? Yeah, or clap or whatever we need to do to affirm that. Because... 
And this series, I went ahead and prepared this series like all of it. Um, yeah, I know some people think a pastor should get their sermon every single week, but what's cool about my God is he can inspire things several weeks ahead. He's, he's good enough to do that. But knowing with the trip coming up and everything, uh, I needed to get some stuff done early so I have time before I leave to get everything prepared for that. So I've already, the Lord hopefully has helped me. I believe that he's helped me prepare this series. And y'all, I feel like this is going to be a really good series. Okay, I just feel like it builds every week. I feel like there's going to be some stuff there that we really need to hear. It's spoken to me. Some of the stuff that, that God has helped me prepare spoke to me and actually gave me some insight into myself and maybe why I've had some of the struggles that I've had over the years. And so, look, when I preach to you on Sunday morning, I know sometimes you may th think that I think I'm up here and everybody else is down here. It's not that way. When I prepare, sometimes I get just as convicted or more convicted that, than, than you do that God is still working on me. He's still, there's still areas of my life where he's conforming into the image of Jesus. And that's what happened as I prepared this series. So I just want to encourage you. I think it's going to be really good. I think if you will invite people, maybe who haven't been in church or maybe some friends and family who are struggling with some things, they'll get some help from this series. God's word always helps us if we'll turn to it and turn to the answers. And so the, the name of this series is called Overcoming. And if you remember, our sermon series in 2019 are geared to teach you things about the Christian life that you need to know. If you didn't know anything about the Christian life, I started this year saying, okay, what would you need to know to be the kind of Christian that lasts in this world, that moves forward with Jesus? You grow upright. You don't wither away. You continue to grow. You continue to bloom for Jesus. What would you need to know to do that? And so that's what these series have been all about this year. And I think one of the things you need to know if you're going to be a victorious Christian, what you need to know up front, you're going to have to overcome some things to live the Christian life. Okay? I love when somebody gets saved. I love when somebody's a new Christian and they just get saved, just come to Jesus. And it's like everything's so happy. It's this new experience walking with Jesus. You've got the joy of the Lord and you just feel like you can sail through the rest of your life and nothing bad will ever happen. I had a professor who said he loved to go to new Christians and just ask them to pray for him because he said they are so full of faith and so full of the joy of the Lord that God answers a lot of their prayers because God is bringing them along in this new faith. And so you feel like that's going to last forever, but it doesn't. It doesn't. God doesn't just save us and remove us from this world, take us on to heaven. It would be nice, wouldn't it, if he did? I mean, that would be great, but that's not how it works. He leaves us here so we can be a light for him. He leaves us here so we can influence other people to get on the right path. He leaves us here so that we can grow and we can be developed in faith in this life. And the, and the enemy, Satan, is going to bring some things against you. He's not going to leave you alone. He's not going to say, okay, they're a Christian now. I've got to leave that one alone and move on to somebody else. Knowing, in fact, sometimes when you become a Christian, it gets even worse because the enemy ramps up his attack against you. And so if you're going to last as a Christian, if you're going to really live the Christian life, you're going to have to learn how to overcome. You're going to have to overcome some obstacles. You're going to have to go around some pitfalls. You're going to have to come through some traps and not get caught in those traps. You're going to have to learn to be an overcomer. And so that's what I wanted to talk to you about for the next four weeks is how to be an overcomer. 
And there's so many things we could have talked about that we have to overcome. I could have done a, a year-long series on just the things that we have to overcome, but you would have gotten bored of listening to it, and I would have gotten bored of preaching it, so I didn't go that way. But I feel like God laid four things on my heart that we're going to speak to you about to be an overcomer, to be a victorious Christian. The first one that we're going to talk about today is overcoming fear. Overcoming fear. We're going to camp out on that one a little bit today. Next week, I'm going to talk about overcoming anger. Now, guys, anger is something I've dealt with pretty much all my life. It, it kind of runs in the, in, in the family. There are things called generational sins that get passed from one generation to the other. And in my family, especially the guys in my family, anger is something that we have to deal with. They always say, watch out for the quiet types. I was always one of the quiet types, but don't push their own button or all of a sudden. And so I've had to learn how to deal with that. Overcoming addiction. How timely is it to talk about overcoming addiction? So many addictions going on right now all around us. All around us we hear about it every single day. And then the last week will be overcoming depression. The last week of this series, a lot of times I don't tell you guys when I'm not going to be here. Because some of you won't show up. That's how it works in the South. The lead pastor's gone, time to take a Sunday off. But I am going to tell you this one. The last week of this series, I'll be in Israel, and Pastor Jason will actually be preaching about overcoming depression. And if you know his story, you know he understands that from a unique angle, a unique way. So you really need to be here to hear his story and to hear what he has to tell you about that. And so the last week, Pastor Jason will be preaching about overcoming depression. So four weeks Four things that I feel like God has laid on my heart to talk to you about. But for this series, we've got an overarching truth. For this series, we've got kind of a tagline to this series that I think we're going to hang everything on that. We're going to understand everything through the prism of what I'm about to share with you. This line, this sentence, this thing that's kind of overarched, kind of be an umbrella over this entire series. And it's this. I believe God gave me this so I could give it to you. We can overcome anything because Jesus overcame everything. Let me say that again. You guys, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty good, but it, we need to believe this because faith is a big part of all this, okay? So I'm going to say it again, and you're going to respond again, but even stronger this time. You ready? We can overcome anything because Jesus overcame everything. Amen? Amen? Yeah, praise the Lord. Give him some praise this morning. You say, well, Brent, do you have any scriptural backup for that? Of course I do. I wouldn't have told you if I didn't have some scriptural backup. It's the end part of John, the 16th chapter and the 33rd verse. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's about to go through the crucifixion. He's about to lay down his life on the cross for his people. And he tells his disciples, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. Talk about uh, verses talk about things that Jesus said that prosperity preachers don't like to preach on. But he actually said this, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. In other words, just because you're my disciple, Jesus says, just because you're following me, it doesn't exempt you from the other things that, from going, the things that go on in this world that other people have to go through. It doesn't exempt you from that. In this world, let me promise you, Jesus says, you will have many trials and sorrows. You're going, to have to, you're going to have some stuff that you have to overcome. You're going to have some stuff that you have to get past. On this earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but he doesn't stop there. Praise God, he doesn't stop there. He says, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. 
Now what the world means there is anything on this globe, anything in existence, anything that spiritual, physical, whatever, anything you can possibly go through, Jesus overcame that. He was above that. Everything that could possibly come against you, Jesus overcame that thing. And because Jesus overcame that thing, we can overcome that thing no matter what, no matter what it is. 1 Corinthians 15 and 57 says, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our own strength and our own power. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through a good 12-step self... No, it doesn't say that. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through a government... Pro no, it doesn't say that for sure. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it says. That's what it says. That's where the victory lies, through our Lord Jesus Christ. He overcame so we can overcome. He defeated every enemy so we can defeat every enemy, not in our own strength, but in Him. Go ahead and try it in your own strength. You'll learn a lesson when you try that. The arm of flesh will fail you, the old hymn says. You dare not trust your own. You better put your faith in Jesus. He's the only one who can help you overcome. He's the only one who's defeated every enemy. So that's the overarching idea for this entire series. But today we're going to zero in on talking about overcoming fear. You know, there's a lot in the world to be afraid of, isn't there, church? And I would divide fear. There's several different ways we can divide fears up. I would say there are irrational fears and rational fears. There are things we really should be afraid of, and there are things that we probably shouldn't be afraid of, but we are enemy. Anyway, um, yesterday, my son Aiden... Now, Aiden was, from the time he was little, this kid, oh, y'all jumped the gun on that, but that's okay. My son Aiden has loved critters since he was, like, really, really small. My wife does, too. I don't know if you guys know, I married Ellie Mae Clampett. She loves critters. Like, there can be a stray dog frothing at the mouth, barking, growling, eyes red, wanting to kill somebody, and Julie will walk by, and that dog will come up wagging its tail and sit down, and she'll pet it, and he'll just love her. I walk by, and the thing will try to take my leg off. But anyway, I married, I married Ellie Mae Clampett, and she passed that on to our son. And so there's not, like, there's not like a critter under the sun that my son doesn't like. He likes everything, and he's always been really interested in reptiles. It started out with dinosaurs when he was little, but it's kind of morphed into this reptile thing. So in our house right now, if you, if you can't handle a pastor who has this, I don't know what you're going to have to do. But anyway, in our house right now, we got a bearded dragon. We got a couple of different geckos. And as of yesterday, we got this dude. His name is Stanley, Stanley the snake. And uh, we went to a thing called Repticon. If you don't like reptiles, don't ever go to Repticon. There were all kinds of reptiles all over this place. But anyway, and there's some jokes I can make with that, but I might offend somebody, so I won't do that this morning. But anyway, let's just say we think a lot of those folks that were there lived in their basement, in their mom's basement. But anyway, so Aiden goes, and his one purpose is to get a snake. And so long story short, we come home with this guy. Now, I posted that online last night talking about this is my son's new pet. And some, it was some of, of y'all, some of y'all, but there were some other people too. Man, there were some people freaking out about this snake. They were, they were like, oh, no, no, not in my house. Uh-uh, no, can't deal with that. Now, y'all, this thing getting venomous. We even had one person say, look at that thing's head. Those things are poisonous. And we're like, no, we really, we're really, we're at least that smart. We're not going to let our kid have a poisonous reptile, I promise you. 
These are non-venomous. But Aiden had told us, he's like, yeah, these things get like two or three feet long. And then we started watching videos on it, and they said, you know, maybe four or five. And I'm like, son, you tricked us on this. Anyway, we feed it, we feed it mice. We're gonna have to, he's going to have to feed it mice, which my mom is like, I think she's more afraid of mice than she is snakes. But anyway, so we've got this guy. But some of y'all, I'm just saying, some of y'all showed a little bit of irrational fear with this guy. I mean, he's only about this long. If he bites you, it won't even hurt. He can't do anything to you. But some of y'all are like, uh-uh, I'm making a new doorway out of the house, getting out of the house if this thing's in there. Only good snake's a dead snake, all that sort of thing. Anyway, so if you're really, really, really terrified of this, I hate it. it's, it's a little irrational. It's just a little irrational because this thing really, you know, if it was a rattlesnake, and see, some of you are protesting, and that's how you know it's irrational because, if it was a rattlesnake, copperhead, something like that, okay, we're getting into rational fear, but this guy can't hurt you. So that's just a, almost an irrational phobia that we have. And so some of us have to deal with that. And I have probably irrational phobias of other things, but some of y'all definitely don't like snakes. But there are things in our lives that are rational fears. There are things that really, if you have any wisdom about you, you should have a healthy respect for, you should have some concern about these things. Let me give you some of those. You can take the snake down, y'all, because they, they like, they want to change churches They're already. So, all right. Throw it back up there for just a second. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I thought they would. There are some things that are healthy fears, understandable fears. One of them is for our children. If you're a parent, you understand that. My mom and dad used to say when I was younger and I would get sick, my, my dad would say, Buddy, if I, could, if I could be sick for you, I'd do that. And I didn't understand that until I had my own kids. But you feel the same way. When they go through something, you feel it, you hurt. It's amazing. This is the first thing in my notes, and then one of our, our worship team members is going through this this morning. But we, we worry about our kids. We worry about their health. We worry about their safety. We worry about the world that they grow up in, and they're going to grow up in. Because, y'all, I'm just being real with you. There are things going on right now that 10 years ago we would have laughed if, if you told us that 10 years later this stuff was going to be normal and was going to be happening. But it's here, and I just, sometimes we say, I sound like my mom and dad used to, I can't imagine what the world is going to be like when my kids get grown. I hope Jesus has already come back, and we don't have to worry about that. I really do. But if this world, he's so good, God is so good, he's waiting until the very last one comes in the fold before that happens and so I don't know I don't know how long he's going to wait but I worry about how bad this world is going to be especially for kids who want to live a Christian life because I don't know if you guys are figuring it out we're not as popular as we used to be those of us who really want to use it, live a Christian life there's some people who really don't like us out there anymore it's going to cost more and more to be a Christian go ahead and count that cost they're having to do it all over the world. Our brothers and sisters are having to do that all around the world, and it's coming to America. Go ahead and count that cost. If you want to be a lukewarm Christian, you need to go ahead and, and figure out that's not going to work. You're going to have to get in the fold totally and totally follow him with everything you have, or you might as well go do something else because halfway measures are not going to get it done. And so we fear for our children. We fear for our health. I heard one pastor talking about we fear for our health because they change what we should do for our health like every week. 
Eat this, it'll be good for you. I just saw now they said that red meat is not as bad for you as they thought it was. And I'm like, all right, because I love some red meat. That's awesome. But, you know, for years and years, don't eat red meat. you got to avoid red meat. Now they're saying, you know what, it's really not as bad. New studies are showing it's not as bad as we thought it was, and it'll be on to the next thing. And I don't know what's behind all of this, but you, you, you can't be sure. I had a professor one time, he was a sculpture professor, and he said, eventually in life, you realize that everything you do kills you. And I thought, man, that's really cynical. But the more and more you listen, especially, by the way, never go online and Google a symptom. You're going to, yeah, oh my, don't do that. Don't do that. That's some scary stuff. But we fear for our health. We don't know what to do. I, I eat right and exercise, but what does eat right look like? We, we're not sure. We fear financially. We've all seen people that, that were doing great one day and something happened and all of a sudden they're, they're struggling financially. We fear that we might lose our, our home. We fear that we might lose our savings, our investments. We fear for all that sort of thing because it can be a reality. We fear because of terrorism. I think it would be an interesting study since 9-11 to do a, a study on how mental illness has increased in America. There's so much stress. There's so much fear. I mean, there are people out there who are just, basically, they do evil for evil's sake. What a scary thing that that exists. And so we can get caught up in that and we can worry about terrorism. We fear for our nation. If you know anything about history, we should fear for our nation. We should be concerned for our nation. There are forces out there, and it's happened in other places, that when these forces get in charge, all of a sudden freedom goes out the door, freedom goes out the window, and a place that was free and a place where you could worship Jesus publicly, all of a sudden things just tighten up. I don't know if you saw the thing about the, the lady that, that shot the man, thought he was in her apartment and she happened to be in his apartment. If you saw the brother of the victim, what a great image of Christ. What a great image of Christ as he forgave this woman. He wanted the judge to, to let him give her a hug. And he, 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 he was getting rid of that hate that could have been in his heart. And just what a great image of Jesus. But I don't know if you saw that the judge, after the trial was over, after everything was done, gave this young lady a Bible, gave her her personal Bible. And there's already an atheist group that's come against this judge and filed a complaint because she gave this young lady a Bible and said, look, Here's the right path. Start reading John 3.16. Start reading the Gospels. Here's what I want you to do. I mean, this lady was on her, per this judge was on her personal time, uh, expressing a personal conviction, but they're trying basically to get her removed, I'm sure, disbarred, removed from the bench, whatever you would call that, because she expressed her faith in such a way. We need to pray for our nation, guys. If you know history, you know that history can repeat itself. There's just a lot of things we can be afraid about. There's a lot of things, a lot of fear, as Pastor Jason said earlier, that can grip us and get a hold of us. So what do we do? How in the world can we overcome fear when fear is so prevalent? Because fear can keep us from being who we were born again to be if you're a Christian. And fear can keep us from living how we were born again to live. Let me read that to you one more time. Fear can keep us from being who we were born again to be, and fear can keep us from living how we were born again to live. So how do we overcome fear? How do we overcome something that's so prevalent and it just seems to make sense to us? How do we overcome this thing that can cripple us? Well, I want to take you to the Old Testament. A lot of times as pastors, we neglect the Old Testament, and I'm as guilty of that as anyone else. But I want to take you to the Old Testament, to the book of 2 Kings. 
chapter 6. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, it will be on the screen for you. 2 Kings chapter 6. And the main character in 2 Kings chapter 6, at least from a human standpoint, is a man named Elisha. Elisha. Elisha's name means God is my salvation. God is my salvation. It's easy to get him confused with his mentor. His mentor was named what? Elijah, okay, whose name meant God is the Lord. So you've got Elijah, God is the Lord. Elisha, God is my salvation. Elijah and Elisha were both prophets during the time when the kingdom of Israel was a divided kingdom. Think about the United States during the Civil War, okay? You had the North and the South. You have the same thing here in the history of Israel. The kingdom had been divided. Both Elijah and Elisha, were, they performed miracles. They were prophets, but they were able to work miracles through the power of God. As Elijah was being taken to heaven, Elisha asked that God would give him a double portion of Elijah's spirit. In other words, what a bold prayer. God, I know you've blessed this man of God, and I've been following him around, and I've seen all the miracles he's done and the, and the prophecies that, that he's put forth. And, but God, would you give me twice the power you gave him? Now that seems like a selfish prayer, unless you know that your nation is getting so bad that you need that sort of thing to make it work. Unless you know that now you're not doing it for yourself, but you know that your ministry is going to need double the power of the one that mentored you. Interestingly enough, if you count up the miracles that Elijah did, and if you count up the miracles that Elisha did, Elisha did exactly twice as many miracles as Elijah. God answered that prayer. He gave him a double portion of Elijah's spirit. Elijah and Elisha lived in perilous times, dangerous times, times that would bring fear into a normal person, into a normal servant of God. And in 2 Kings chapter 6, Israel is at war with Aram, which is basically modern-day Syria, where modern-day Syria is in the Middle East. And so we're going to read the story about it, and then we're going to go and look part by part, because there's some lessons in this story about how we can overcome fear, how we can get past this thing that can cripple us so easily. So it's 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 23. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. I like how that translation puts stories. And so we're going to read this story in the New Living Translation. And God's word says this. When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, we will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. But immediately Elisha, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel, do not go near that place for the Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops there. Time out. Let, let's talk about that. Because if you read that too fast, if you're just reading that in your daily Bible reading, you may not get the entire picture. What you have to understand is this. Elisha was a prophet. Two types of prophecy. I know I've described this to you before. There's two types of prophet, prophecy. There's a prophecy that tells you what's going to happen in the future. And there's a prophecy that tells you what's going on right now from God's point of view. And so Elisha was a prophet in both of those ways. But in this way, he was actually seeing things that you couldn't see with a normal human eye. He was hearing things you could not hear with a normal human ear. 
And so God was giving him divine revelation. And when the enemy would mobilize, when the enemy would encamp and then set out, God was telling him every time where the enemy was going to be. And so Elisha was going back to the king and he was saying, Hey, king, they're right down there. They're at the end of this road. You don't need to go that way. You need to go that way. So every time they set up, going to take the people of Israel by surprise and overthrow the kingdom, Elisha had already warned the king and the king was avoiding all the traps that they were setting. It wasn't a drone flying back and forth reporting or anything like that. It was the Spirit of God granting insight to Elisha. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and time again, Elisha warned the king so he would be on the alert there. The king of Aram, which is Syria, became very upset over this. He called his officers together and demanded, Which of you is the traitor? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? Because he's thinking, somebody in my army has sold me out. They're going, they're, they're an inside spy, and they're going and they're reporting to my enemies in Israel. It's not us, Lord my king, one of the officers replied. Elisha, the prophet of Israel, tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. So in other words, it was like Elisha was right there. He knew everything that was going on. Nothing was hidden from him. Go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops and seize him. And the report came back, Elijah, Elisha is at Dothan. Time out. How many of you know that it is dangerous to know what's going on? It is dangerous to know what's going on. The powers that be, if you will just go along and you'll just go along with the current of culture, if you'll just go along with everything that's happening out there, if you never question anything, the powers that be like that because then they can do just about whatever they want to. But when you start to question and when you start to get insight, and especially when God reveals things to you that maybe he isn't revealing to everybody else, that makes you a dangerous person. That makes you a person that needs to be removed. That, means, that makes you a person that they need to get out of their way. It's dangerous to know what's going on in the world. Powers that be just want you to go to work, go to school, do what everyone else does. Just be a good little sheep and just follow the crowd. Bah, that's what they want. Just follow along and whatever you do, don't think too much. I mean, guys, I'll be honest with you. I think that's why we have so much entertainment in our culture. Those that are in power, they, and not, not all are good, and I'm not talking about any one particular person. If you say, he was talking about Trump, I'm not, that's not what I'm doing this morning, okay? I'm just saying there are powers that are out there that want you to just follow along, go down the stream of culture blindly, and, and just follow along, because if you start to question, it might mess up what they're doing. It might mess up the advantages they're getting. So when you pull back the curtain, you, become to be, you, you become, begin to be dangerous and you have to be silenced. That's what happened to Elisha. Elisha was someone who pulled the curtain back. I wasn't talking about Obama either. Uh, well that, Elisha pulled the curtain back and he became a dangerous person. When you know what's going on, you become a danger. Verse 14. So one night the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. You had two guys here, but they sent basically the whole army to take them out. And when the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. I mean, what would happen if you woke up one morning 
and your house was surrounded by an entire army. Just say you woke up one morning and you got military trucks in your front yard, you got tanks in your backyard, you got airplanes flying over, and you know what they're after? You and one other person. How would you feel? What, what sort of feeling would grip you? I think it'd be fear. I think it would be fear. And that's exactly what's happening here. Verse 16, don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than are on their side. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. As the Aramean army advanced toward him, Elisha prayed, O Lord, please make them blind. So the Lord struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Then Elisha went out and told them, You have come the wrong way. This isn't the right city. Follow me, and I will take you to the man that you are looking for. And he led them to the city of Samaria. Samaria was the capital city of Israel at that time. As soon as they had entered Samaria, Elisha prayed, O Lord, now open their eyes and let them see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they discovered that they were in the middle of Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he shouted to Elisha, My father, should I kill them? Should I kill them? Of course not, Elisha replied. Do we kill prisoners of war? Give them food and drink and send them home again to their master. So the king made a great feast for them and then sent them home to their master. After that, the Aramean raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. So let me give you some principles for overcoming fear that come out of this story. You wake up, your entire home is surrounded by an army that's coming against you, trying to get rid of you, trying to kill you. If you were afraid, here are some principles that emerge from that sort of story. Principle number one, don't trust your physical senses to tell the whole story. Don't trust your physical senses to tell the whole story. God gave us five physical senses, and probably the strongest three of those are sight and sound and touch. What we can see, what we can hear, what we can feel, those are the things that are probably the strongest senses that we have to protect ourselves, to give us wisdom. If we can see it, if we can hear it, if we can touch it, we'll probably believe it. The Bible even talks about the disciples doing that with Jesus. They saw him. They heard him. They actually held him in their hands. They knew that Jesus was real. And so if we can see and we can hear and we can touch, we can probably believe it. And I'm not telling you this morning to ignore your senses. God gave you your senses for a reason. He gave you these things to protect yourself. He gave you these things so that you might have wisdom. If you see, we talked about snakes earlier, if you see there's a copperhead in your path, don't step on it. That's wisdom. Okay, go around it, do whatever you got to do, but don't step on the thing because God gave you sight so you would say, I, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go a different direction. If you hear someone breaking in your house at night, probably best to grab your firearm, right? It's probably best to, and we're in the south, and you know that's what's going to happen. Probably best to grab your gun before the government does. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Probably would be wisdom to do something about it, right? If you hear something like that. If you feel something in your body that begins to feel like a tumor, I've had that happen before. It's not a pleasant experience. You best go to your doctor and get it checked. 
right? Wisdom. Feel something that's wrong. So Elisha and his servant were surrounded by an army. And like I said, that's a, that's a big problem. But Elisha knew that there was more than what they could see. He knew that just as his senses, just his five physical senses, that wasn't all there was to the story. Elijah was a prophet. He knew there was a world behind this world. He knew that there was a spiritual world behind the physical world that he could see. And by the way, the ancients didn't see that the way we do. We're past the Enlightenment period, and after the Enlightenment period, we've kind of divided everything into realms, but the ancient people didn't see it that way. They saw everything as one, spiritual world, physical world. It was just kind of all meshed together. And so Elisha knew that, look, there was something more that they just couldn't see with their physical senses. The Syrian army had Elisha and his servants surrounded, but what they did not realize was heaven's army had the Syrian army surrounded. They were surrounded physically, but spiritually there was something surrounding, something greater, something more powerful surrounding that Syrian ar uh, army. Somebody ought to write a song about, I know that I'm surrounded, but God, I'm surrounded by you. They should write something like that. I don't know. Have you heard that one? I remember when I was interviewing the to be the pastor of this church several years ago. It's uh, about 10 years ago now. I was interviewing to be the pastor of this church. I had a connection to this church because I grew up here. And you guys probably know the story and you're probably tired of hearing it. But the church was in a whole lot of trouble. And so I put my name in and I think at first there were like 50 folks interested. And then it got down to like five folks interested. And then it got down to me and one other guy that were interested in being the pastor of this church. And I had a friend who we were talking about this. And he was kind of part of the whole process on my side of things. And one day he just said to me, look, Brent. I, don't, I hate to tell you this, I hate to be pessimistic, but there's no way they're ever going to let you be the pastor of Rushwood. It's just you're not experienced enough. You, you haven't done this pastoring thing for long enough. You have too many family connections. You're not popular enough. You're not well-known enough. I hate to tell you, I just got to be realistic with you, Brent. They're never going to let you be the pastor of Rushwood. And so, you know, you, you just need to go ahead and prepare yourself that that's never going to happen. And I remember saying to this friend, look, I understand why you said everything that you just said, but God is calling me there, and that's what's going to happen. I am going to be the pastor of that church because God called me to be the pastor of that church, and he's going to make a way even where there seems to be no way. And I'm standing here before you this morning. Now, what my physical ears heard and what I could see and what I could understand with my mind all said he was probably right. But I knew there was a spiritual world and there was something happening in that spiritual world that was more powerful than that, what was happening in the physical world that I could see and that I could think through. Don't always trust your senses. Don't always trust what you can see and touch and hear because there's a God behind everything that's greater than everything else. But if I had just trusted my physical senses, if I had just trusted what my friend told me, I would have said, well, you know, you're right. I'm just going to give this up. And I would have missed what God was doing in my life for this time. And so I'm so thankful that I didn't listen that way. Guys, maybe you've heard something bad. Maybe you've got a bad diagnosis. Or, or, or maybe you've got a, a loved one that's going through something. And you've heard people say, you need to just give up on them. Just give up on them. It's never going to happen. Maybe you've been discouraged in that way. Or maybe financially people have told you you're never going to get ahead. You're never going to be able to make it. I don't know what you may have heard, but don't trust that. Trust the word that comes from above. Trust that God is working on your behalf. Trust that God is good. Don't rely on those physical senses to tell you the whole story. Elisha didn't, and he saw that there was a whole army 
that was on his side. Number two, when you're afraid, when, you, when you're tempted to fear, ask God to bring about a specific saving solution. Ask God to bring about a specific saving solution. I like how when uh, Elisha prays, the Syrian army attacks. They're coming in, and Elisha prays very specifically, God, make them blind. God, you just helped us to see. Now, God, I would ask that you would make them blind. It kind of goes, do you remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? Remember how when they got to the house that God struck them with blindness so they couldn't even find the door? I don't know if maybe Elisha had been reading that story and knew God did it before and he could do it again. But anyway, he specifically prays, God, please blind this whole army. Will you? Thanks. Thanks, God. I appreciate you doing it. And God does it. I think there is a humility that sometimes we're supposed to have when we pray, and you'll hear me say it sometimes, God, if it's your will. I mean, that's how Jesus prayed in the garden. Do you remember that? Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me, but not, your, not my will, but yours be done. I think there can be a humility in praying for God's will to be done. But I think sometimes there's a boldness that we need in our prayers to pray specifically for something. God, I, I pray that you would do this thing just this way, just this way so that your power might be seen. Not so it would be to my glory or to my benefit, but God, so your power might be seen. Sometimes I think God is waiting for us to have the faith to pray specifically for something. Specifically, God, this is how, Lord, help this happen this way. God, help this to unfold this way. And I think sometimes God, his heart is moved because of that sort of faith. And he acts in a way he might not have acted if we did not exhibit that sort of faith. He says, God, blind this whole army. God, do this this way, I pray. Sometimes God wants us to pray for a specific solution so that everyone knows his answer to prayer wasn't just another coincidence. Let me give you a great story from our state. I've shared this here before, but it's been years since I've shared this story. If we can go ahead and put the next picture up, guys. There we go. Providence Methodist Church, which was in, is in Swan Quarter, North Carolina. I don't know if you've ever heard the story of this church. It wasn't originally named Providence Methodist Church, but it was this little group of Methodist believers, and they knew that God had a, a place of land, a piece of land in Swan Quarter where their church was supposed to be. They'd prayed about it. They prayed it over. They asked God to give them this land so they might build their church building on this land. The only problem was the landowner did not see it that way. He, he did not think they should have this land. He was unwilling to sell this land. And so they kept on, and they were praying, and they were talking to this guy, the, the guy that owned the land, and the guy just would not give in, would not sell him the land. And so they said, okay, he's never going to sell us the land. We know we feel like God wants our church to be in this one spot, but he's just not going to go along with it, so we're going to have to build somewhere else. So they purchased another piece of land and they built their church building. This is not the original church building. This is, this is you know, probably two or three church buildings down the road, uh, but same congregation. So they built this church building. Three days before they were going to dedicate this church and have their first service in this church building, this was in the late 1800s, a hurricane hit Swan Quarter. True story. You can look it up. Even Snopes might verify this one. I'm not sure. But you can look this up, true story from North Carolina history. Three days before they're going to dedicate this church, this hurricane hits and the entire town floods. 
And so the church people go down there in their brand new church building. They, they don't want anything to happen to it. So they actually tie it down. And the, there's church members out there holding it back. And they're trying to keep the church from floating away. But it doesn't matter. It breaks loose anyway. And so this church building actually floats down Main Street. Ends up hitting the general store. Spinning around. Makes a right hand turn. And lands on that land they had been praying for the entire time. True story. Not making this up. So when the waters recede, the guy who owns the land who would not sell them the land before said, well, I think God wants your church to be there after all. Sells them the land, and this building is in the exact spot that first church landed, and so they renamed it Providence Methodist Church, and it's called the church that God moved. They prayed for a specific thing. They got a specific answer. And the same God who can do that for a church building can move your life in the right direction. If you'll just let him, if you'll just trust him, if you'll just pray that God would move. If you feel in your heart that God is telling you to do something, go with it. Go with it. Believe it. Follow his will. Ask that he would bless you and that his hand would move. Just like he can move that church building, he can move your life forward. Now you ought to go share that because that's a good story. Y'all ought to go share that with somebody today. The church that God moved. Jeremiah 1.8 says, Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. No matter who's standing in your way, no matter what's coming against you, if God is moving on your behalf, nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop his move on your behalf. In fact, probably you're the only thing that can stop his move on your behalf. Number three, let past victories fuel your faith for the future. Let past victories fuel your faith for the future. After God blinded the Syrians, Elisha led them straight into the capital of Israel. I think that's so funny. He's like, uh-uh-uh, guys, you're at the wrong city. Come follow me. I'll take you to the place where you need to be. And so he leads them for where, from where they had him surrounded. Elisha leads them right into the capital city, right to the king of Israel, who is now has power over them, has the surprise, has the drop on them, and can do anything he wants to. And the king cries out to Elisha and says, Father, do you want me to kill them? He says, no, we don't, we don't treat people that way. We don't kill war prisoners that way. These guys are prisoners of war. So Elisha says, don't do that. Feed them a good meal. Send them back where they came from. Pat them on the rear end and send them on their way. They're done. Now, if Elisha was afraid of what they might do to him in the future, he would have had the king kill them if he thought... Yeah, I'm worried about these guys. They might come back. They've been embarrassed now. They're going to come back, and they're going to come get me again. He would have said, yeah, king, take them out. But he did not fear what they could do. He, did not, he was not afraid. He reasoned, I believe, that God had delivered him once. And if God had delivered him once, then God could do it again. We are bad at forgetting what God has done. We are. We, we, we talk about if you read the children of Israel and God delivered them with a mighty hand out of Egypt, he sent ten plagues, and if you study those ten plagues, those ten plagues come against every one of the Egyptian gods. Basically, God was showing those aren't gods, I'm God, I'm the real deal. God delivered them with a mighty hand. They go through the desert and he, he feeds them manna from heaven to keep them alive. Their clothes don't even wear out. God is protecting his people. He's delivered them so many mighty ways. Water from a rock, everything else that God did to protect them. Parted the Red Sea. 
gave them the law to give them a guide. God had been so good to them, and yet when his people get up to the border of the promised land, what do they do? They get afraid. They get afraid. It's too big for us. Those people are too strong for us. We can't go in there. We've got to turn around. We've got to go back. And so they end up spending 40 years wandering in the desert when they could have gone on into the promised land. They forgot what God had done. And we judge them, but you know, we're just as bad. We're just as bad. How many things has God brought you through? Seriously, things you thought were going to take you out. Things you thought there was no way that you could overcome. How many of those things has God brought you through, church? And yet we, we, we tend to fear, we tend to forget, we tend to not understand what God has done for us. We tend to not move forward in faith. Fear so easily throws us off the track. Church, Jesus Christ has already saved us from death, hell, and the grave. If you know Jesus, if you've been purchased by his blood, if you've repented of your sins and you've put your faith in him, you've already been saved from the worst things that could possibly happen to you. He's already helped you overcome those. So if he's going to help you overcome those, why wouldn't he help you overcome the other things you need to overcome in this life? Why would he bring you this far to leave you? The answer is he wouldn't. He'll walk every step of the way with you. David wrote in the Psalms, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Who do I have to be afraid of? I don't have to be afraid of anyone. Do you know how big my daddy is? It's like a little kid running around. I don't have to be afraid of you. My dad's an ex-NFL player. He'll take you out. I'm not worried about you. Do you know how big my God is? Why do I have to fear what man can do to me? What do I, why do I have to fear what disease can do to me? Why do I have to fear what the powers of this world can do? I don't have to be afraid. The answer is, I don't have to be afraid. I can walk in the power of who he is. And if he's already saved me from the worst things that can happen to me, he'll save me from anything else that comes against me as well. Me and you. Guys, we were, we were going to end up with another song, but you know, you know John had to leave. And I want you all to continue to pray for him and continue to pray for his family. But I, I believe God allows things for a reason. And, and I believe that God's going to end up this service today exactly how he wants to. Because I believe in him. Um, this morning, you should have gotten a note card on your way in. If you didn't get a note card on your way in and you need a note card, you can raise your hand and hopefully one of the ushers will get a note card for you okay I see I see marks on the spot he's going to get a few this morning I don't know what fear may bother you I mean I have my own I tell you what it, some of the things I've been through I, I have a lot of fear over those things that I have to take to the Lord on a constant basis and if I if I let that fear get a hold of me it would cripple me if I let that fear get a hold of me I would not be able to do what I do on the Sunday morning standing up here and, and and teaching you guys and, and, and preaching to you guys from the Word. I understand there's a lot of different things we could be afraid of. And I'm not talking about snakes. And I'm not talking about heights. You, you, you guys get it. We're not talking about some of those things. We're not talking about phobias this morning. Unless that's crippling you and keeping you from doing what God is calling you to do. We're talking about the everyday fears that we have as human beings. That can grip any and every one of us if we're not, not careful. This morning, here's what I want you to do to end up the service. They're going to pray. They're going to play just a little bit of traveling music from the booth back there. 
And I would just ask, we're going to just act like this area is the feet of Jesus. We're just going to act like this area is the foot of the cross. Just right up here on these steps. Symbolically, what you're going to do, I want you to write down, and I hope you guys have a pen nearby. You're just going to write down on there something, that a fear that, that you struggle with. Maybe it's a step that you're supposed to take. You're supposed to step out of that boat and you're supposed to walk on the water with Jesus, but you've just never been able to let yourself do that because of fear. Or maybe it's something that you're afraid. Maybe it's something in your background and you're afraid that God's going to let it fall back into that again. Maybe it's something with your health. Maybe it's something with finances. Maybe it's something with your kids. I don't know. Maybe it's something on your job. I don't know, we can have so many different fears and I don't want to give you too much of a list because I want God to deal with you on this. But here's what I want you to do this morning. If you have a fear that you're struggling with, and I think we all do from time to time, guys, I just want you to write it down and I just want you on that card, where in just a minute I'm going to have you stand up. If you have something that you're struggling with, I want you to symbolically come up here. Don't put your name on it. I'm not interested in what fear belongs to what person. Okay, we'll just take these cards up at the end and we'll just throw them away. We sang a song earlier today, cast your fear in the fire. Throw your fear in the fire because fear is a liar. It'll cripple you. It'll hold you back. It'll keep you from doing what God wants you to do. If you're struggling with something today, I just want you to write that, whatever that fear is on this card. And I want you to just symbolically get up and lay it at the feet of Jesus and say, God, I'm giving this to you. You've already saved me from death, hell, and the grave. You've already helped me overcome things that, that, that I could not have possibly overcome by myself. You've brought me over through so many valleys, through so many storms. God, you've got me here, and I know you're not going to leave me here. I know you're not going to turn your back on me. But God, I need you to help me overcome this thing so I can be the person you want me to be, so I can live the way that you want me to live. And God, I'm going to, I'm going to give you that fear. I'm going to give it over to you. I'm going to put it in your hands. God, take it away from me so I can live a full and happy and holy life with you. That's, what we're going to, that's the way we're going to end up this morning. Nothing more special than that. Just saying, here, God, I'm putting it in your hands. This morning, would you stand? Would you stand? And if that's you, again, we don't have a, a song played from the platform or anything like that, and I'm going to move because I'm not going to be up here looking at what you're laying down. That, that's not what this is about something you're struggling with this morning, I would just invite you to come and symbolically lay it at the feet of Jesus, spiritually lay it at the feet of Jesus. Just say, Jesus, I'm putting it in your hands. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you to get me through. I'm going to invite you to come. Why don't you come this morning? We'll pray after that and we'll be dismissed. But if you're struggling with something, come and lay it at the feet of Jesus Christ. Give it to him. He's big enough to carry it.
Father, we come to you today, and we thank you that you are the God of peace. God, you haven't given us a spirit of fear, but you've given us a spirit of power and love and of a sound mind. And so, God, if we're struggling with anything today, anything the enemy is bringing up against us, anything the enemy would use to hold us back, God, I thank you that we have been set free. And I thank you that we can rest in the finished work of Jesus. Thank you that you are our light, you are our shield, you are our great reward. There's nothing that we have to fear this morning. And so, God, we cast all our concerns on you because we know that you care for us. And I pray that all those who made a move this morning to confess that there's something they've been struggling with, a fear that they've been struggling with, God, I pray that you would give them a new peace, a fresh sound mind. God, give them a spirit, put a spirit in them of boldness and courage and strength for you. God, we love you. We thank you for meeting with us this morning. We pray for those that we prayed over earlier. God, I pray there, there are needs I'm sure that I don't know, God. I pray that you would just meet every need. But thank you that you've already met our greatest need through Jesus Christ. We love you. We praise you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for ministering to us. As we leave this place, God, I just pray that you would make us witnesses for you. Thank you again for the cross. Thank you for the empty tomb. It's in Jesus' name we pray all of these things. And Rushwood said together, amen. I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. I hope you have a great week. See you Wednesday night. See you next Sunday morning. God bless you guys.